0: Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano.
1: Welcome to Sports Spectrum. I'm Jason Romano. Thanks for being here on the show with us today. Very excited to bring to you a conversation we had with Tim Burke. Tim is a retired Major League Baseball pitcher, played for the Montreal Expos, the New York Mets, and finished out his career career with the New York Yankees. He came into baseball in April of 1985 with the Expos, retired after the 1992 season when he finished out with the New York Yankees in September of 1992. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates in round two of the 1980 Major League Baseball draft and was traded to the Expos for outfielder Pat Rooney and then made his Major League debut April 8th, 1985 with Montreal. In 1989, he was selected to the National League All-Star team and had 102 saves in his career as a baseball pitcher. He was the closer for the Montreal Expos there for a few years in the late 1980s. Tim's a fascinating guy because certainly his baseball career has enough stories to fill up a podcast and we talk about that 1989 All-Star game Uh, that Tim was a part of. But even more than that, Tim has an amazing story of adoption, adopting two orphan children from Korea, one from Vietnam, one from Guatemala. Uh, Tim's a Christian, of course, and has a really great uh, testimony of faith. And Tim also has experienced some, some pretty dark times in his life as well that he touches on here in this interview. I really love talking to Tim. Ironically, Tim is also involved in hockey ministry. Now, he's a baseball player, played professionally, played in the majors, but now he's involved in hockey ministry and ministering to National Hockey League players and professional hockey league players. So we'll talk about that as well. Tim's a deep guy. He's a very good storyteller, and he doesn't hold back. Take a listen to our conversation with former Major League Baseball pitcher Tim Burke here on Sports Spectrum's podcast. And we are pleased to be joined here on Sports Spectrum by Tim Burke. Uh, Tim is a former Major League Baseball player turned hockey minister, I guess is the best way to say it. Let's just welcome Tim to the podcast. Tim, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, man, Jason, this is great. And I've listened to a lot of your podcasts that you do here with Sports Spectrum. I love it, man. I just love what you're doing.
1: I love it. We're so glad to have you, Tim. And we're at a a hockey conference here in Park City, Utah, as we tape this. So that's ironic to me. And I remember when I first saw you pop up on my Twitter feed and you were talk it said hockey minister you know person who ministers to hockey players chaplain that type of thing and i said that can't be the same tim burke who pitched with the expos and the mets back in the 80s and i looked it up and it was so i have a former major league baseball player yeah weird yeah, yeah it's a weird story who's now working in the hockey arena mm-hmm. for lack of a better word uh minister into guys in ministry tell me about how that came about
0: i know that was really weird i uh Got, my, got to the big leagues in 1985. So my first year in the big leagues, first year for Christine and I, uh, Don Lismer, who heads up Hockey Ministries International, who I just love Don, worked with him for years, love him, and he was doing our Bible studies. And so um, I got to know him, mm-hmm. and I loved hockey. The little bit I was around it growing up in Omaha. And so then he introduced me to Ryan Walter, who was a really neat Christian guy on the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, I got to know Ryan and I got to be dear friends and our wives. And so I was around him a lot. I was around the the hockey team, Montreal Canadiens. And I just loved the game. But then the more I learned from Ryan, more I saw the... Uh, Kind of the landscape of the culture of hockey, I just was amazed. It was so different and just so much darker and Mm. more difficult than baseball or football that I was familiar with with all the guys, and I just was amazed. And so that went on for years, but I always, I I just, I know God gave me a real heart for hockey guys, and I loved, I mean, in at the highest level of whatever sport you're at it's difficult a lot of temptations and a lot of things to navigate your way through and so but hockey was to another level and I just kind of loved that battle and that challenge of really just being in the battle more so in hockey than if I'd a Gone into ministry with, stayed with baseball or whatever, and so I just kind of found that interesting. But it was just neat. God just gave me a heart for these guys, and so, uh, but it helps. It translates. So that I was in the big leagues, experienced all of that. If you, you know, if you've experienced that at the NFL or major leagues or uh, hockey, there's a lot of common denominators. Yeah. What are some of those denominators? Just well, to... you got, you know, your You're, most were great athletes their whole life and people just loved them for what they did and then you get to the top level and you've got money and you've got status and you've got reputation and you've got enormous pressure Mm -hmm. and you've got the temptation with women and the... Temptations that money comes around, and you just kind—it's of, easy to just lose perspective, and so that's common in all sports. It's common to our life, but it, then when you get at a young age to deal with all that stuff, you know, there quite often there's a there's a train wreck coming, and so it really. These guys, I needed it, they need it, we all need it, walking in that world of some people to help us kind of navigate and and remind us and give us a, a good perspective when we just lose our perspective, whether it's a bad game or a slump yeah. or or you are just on top of the world and dominating, that can be as dangerous or more sometimes.
1: Yeah. Tim Burke is our guest here on Sports Spectrum. It's funny, I'm 45. You're 60, I believe, just turned 60. So we're not that far different in the ages now that I've gotten to 45. But when I was 14, and you were whatever that would be, 29, uh, you were way older than me, and I had your baseball cards, and I watched you play against my New York Mets, and you played in a golden era of baseball in the mid to late 80s into the early 90s, for me at least, and, and when my baseball fandom really took shape with myself as a big New York Mets fan. But I remember Tim Burke, uh, probably on one of my earliest rotisserie baseball teams as a high school kid in that 89 season when you went to the All-Star game. Tell me about just being around that baseball culture and getting to the majors and having a lot of success, especially with those Expos teams in, those, in that time and what that was
0: like. Yeah, it was fun. One of the things that Another like we were talking about common denominators. One of them is when you get to the league, you're all of a sudden you're playing against your heroes. Yeah, you are playing against guys you looked up to. You and now all of a sudden you've got to. I me as a pitcher is like, man, I I mean the first run I ever gave up my major league debut opening day '85. You know, there's 65,000 at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, and so that was back when the opening day game was always in Cincinnati, it was the only show in town, you were the first team to play, and so um, Pete Rose knocked in the first run I ever gave up, and so, you know, you've got to work through just being in awe and being a little intimidated, but Man, my job is to get those guys out, and so you know, you just have to um, accept early on that it's like, okay, oh man, this is work. This is a business. I've got to do my job. But man, I sure loved that guy <laughs> when I was in high school and growing up. But yeah, uh, so it's a learning curve. But. Uh, yeah, so it was just fascinating, though, to get to the major leagues. Mm. What about the success, handling success at a young
1: age? Individual success, I guess, more than team. I know the Expos didn't um, have they had good years, but not playoff years or certainly World Series years. But for you, just handling success, you make it to the All-Star Game in 1989, um, you really was a dominant year, I think a few years earlier, uh, in 87. Tell me about like, just what that was like as a young athlete. And then we'll talk about where faith started to come and take shape for you.
0: Yeah, it was like, I mean, my mind goes immediately to Dodger stadium, 1985, month and a half into my career. Uh, I was kind of a long man out of the bullpen, and Bill Gullickson blows a hammy in the f- first or second hitter of the game. And we're in Dodger Stadium. I grew up a huge Dodger fan, used to go out to L.A., visit my relatives, but I'd schedule it for two weeks where I could just go to a game every night by myself Yeah, up in the upper deck, third baseline, and I'm looking up there, and i just like, gosh, I just, just love this place. And I, and, but I, I hadn't pitched enough to where I really felt like I belonged. And so Gullickson blows a hammy. I go in just out of nowhere. And so then I pitched five innings, gave up maybe three hits, no runs, and I pitched great. And that night, and we all have them, all athletes will have one, where it's like, oh, okay. I belong here. And so that was the first big turning point. And then I end up just being a setup man to Jeff Reardon all year. He wins the Relief Man Award and I was the setup guy. And so and I end up setting a National League all-time record for most games for a rookie pitcher. And it was just awesome. So it really uh I had success early, so that was great. And then but it just builds confidence. But um I had some good leaders around me. Jeff Reardon was awesome as a mentor. Yeah. And uh we had uh after that first year we had a number of Christians on the team and we really gathered around each other, encouraged each other, and then we also uh had some good teams and we didn't make the playoffs, but back then only two teams in each you know division or each league made the yeah. playoffs. So yeah, um, yeah, and then '87 comes around, and that was a year where I was seven and zero, and a closer, and um, it was like a one one point two 1. ERA, ERA or something. It right? It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was like you know you you hit these times where you are in you are in the zone. Yeah. I had an entire year like that, which was really fun and really good for my confidence. But that was also when we started uh, adopting kids. Yeah, and then you mentioned the All-Star game. I pitched in the All-Star game in 89. Where was that game played? It was in Anaheim. Okay.
1: we so had back already, home, We right? had
0: already planned to go to Guatemala in the All-Star break to adopt our second child, Ryan, and so... I make the all-star team earlier in that week. And I was like, oh, man. I yeah. was like, so I told Christine, I said, man, I i won't pitch in the all-star game. We, You know, our child is more important. She insisted. She goes, no, no, you got to pitch in an all-star game. <laughs> and so she flew down. I caught a red eye after the game. They had it all set up for me to get a ride straight to LAX. And I flew straight to Guatemala City, got in there, and we adopted our... Sun and it was just a whirlwind weekend, but it was also so cool to pitch in an all star game. I was the only guy in the National League team to pitch two innings. We had some troubles pitching, and so I did really well. So I got to pitch two innings, and it was so much fun. Is that,
1: is that the Bo Jackson All Star game? Yeah,
0: I was. You know the, what's funny about that? Rick is Russell that, started that. Yeah, Rick now my Russell, brain is
1: going back to that. Rick Russell that?
0: started Bo yeah. Jackson. All of us in the National League. We hadn't seen Bo Jackson play. yeah. So, you know, we were all kind of interested, and I'm sitting in the dugout with everybody else, and and he hit a low fastball, and I mean, he he just crushed it. Dead center field. It was one of those home runs where, I mean, you know, we saw home runs all the time, but the entire bench, we just looked at each other and, like, Bo Jackson had us in awe, yeah. and that you don't—you know, fellow guy in the big leagues—you don't get in awe very often. But he got us right then and there. That was—that was really cool too. He's special, uh, Bo Jackson. Certainly,
1: tell me about your faith. I know you've mentioned you, you, your faith journey a little bit, and certainly the adoption story. I think is one that we want to get to as well. But your faith testimony—when does Christ become real to you? How does that take shape for you? Oh.
0: It- you know, I grew up going to church. It didn't mean anything to me. And then I got to college, and I was really good at drinking. I was really good at being wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I enjoyed the heck out of that. And so then I get into minor league ball. And my second year, I'm pitching in Buffalo and in A for the Pirates. And I couldn't get anybody out that year. I pitched terrible. My drinking problem was Bad, and then I had a marriage problem because Christine. I didn't want to be away from her all year. We were going to get married in Omaha at the end of the year. I said, "Hey, just come to Buffalo. We'll get married." So right at the beginning of the year, we got married in Buffalo, and so I was immediately a terrible husband and just <laughs> had no clue about life. And so anyway, from the because of the problems with marriage, drinking, pitching, uh, you know, there were a couple teammates that came up and said, "Hey, why don't you guys, you know." You and Christine come to a Bible study we're doing, and and I thought, oh my gosh, that's the last thing I want to do. Right. But Christine was going home. She was going to go home and end the marriage. She knew that it was a mistake, and so I said something to her about the Bible study. And she goes, "Well, I guess it isn't going to make things any worse. I'll stick around for that, but I'm still leaving." And so we went to that first Bible study, and. And the guy explained what being a Christian was. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I'm, I thought, like, you know, yeah, I'm a decent guy. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Go to church, be a good guy. Yeah, I was better than half the people in the world. I right. I thought I was good. But he explained about um, Jesus needed to be number one in our lives and that. Um, Oh, man, he he wasn't in my top ten. And so he explained it just really well. And so we walked out of there, both of us, knowing we were not Christians. Hmm. And uh, this was like, well, I'm not going to jump on this train just because he said it or whatever. But it did get us thinking. And so then it was kind of was intriguing. It was like, you know... You want to stick around another week? We'll go to one more Bible study. And so because she kept giving me one week extensions on our marriage, and so hmm. we'd go and we we kept going, and then finally, August twenty fifth, uh, nineteen eighty two, uh, we both woke up, and we had been reading the Bible some and really kind of really thinking and learning and just also just really. We woke up that morning and I ran into. First Peter five seven, and that was it. First Peter five seven says, "Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you." Talking about Jesus, yeah. And the lights came on. It was like it's great. Oh, like he, it's not. He's just not God up there judging us. He really cares. He wants my pitching problems, and my drinking, and my marriage problems, and he really cares, and the lights came on. Christine and I just prayed right then and there, just like, Lord, all right, we're turning it over to you, we're giving you our lives, and that started the journey. Wow. Oh, and I may, may and let me add, yeah. that the unfathomable blessing and bonus of that was Christine and I... Did it together. We had le- we started our journey together, which is it's huge. It was huge.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And I th- like I was going to say that uh, as you begin your faith journey, I think there's a misconception among non-believers. I had it. I'm sure maybe you did too, and others, that when you come to Christ, everything's just perfect, everything's great. Mm. It's all flowers and all blue skies, and it's like no, the journey is actually the beginning. It does not mean you're not going to go through ups and downs, those roller coaster moments, as I like to call them. You've had a lot of those. Um, let's start with the uh, adoptions, idea of adoption for you, adopting your kids. And I, you mentioned a story to us about, um, I think it was the day you were traded from Montreal to New York <laughs> and going through some really difficult seasons of, of life, even that early on. Um, and a testing of your faith, I'm sure. Just share with us a little bit about the heart for adoption. Start there, and then maybe take us to that moment when you were traded to the Mets.
0: Yeah, adoption. I, I can tell you some good stories about that. It all started, we had, when we were in Montreal, the first couple of years, we weren't having kids. We'd been married a few years, so we had a test done and found out, it's like, okay, you're you're not going to probably have children biologically. And so Christine mm-hmm. said you know, the, like the next day or whatever, she said, oh, you know what? I would love to adopt. Hmm. And I thought, oh, there is no way I could adopt another person's child. I thought adoption was awesome. I thought that was really cool that people did that. But it was like, I'm not the guy, you know? And so I lovingly... As lovingly as I could, just I had to tell her, no, this is too big of a decision to just say, oh, okay, you want to adopt? Oh, yeah, cool, we'll do that. And so I just said, I'm so sorry. There is no way I can do that. And she handled it perfectly. She, mm. she understood. She was, she was um, fine, but what she did is what a lot of wives do, they start praying behind their husband's backs. And so Christine, she did that. She prayed behind my back for a year. Never, we never talked about it. She just prayed for a year. And I remember we're, we're driving down Dodge Street in Omaha on the off season and I just realized I turned to her and I said, you know, I just have this deep desire to adopt a little Korean girl. And she lost it she just started crying weeping almost fell out of the truck she was just like but it was that drastic and so I thought oh my gosh this I can change my heart but only God I mean I can change my mind only God can change my heart like this and I thought oh this is God doing this and so boom started the process and We adopted uh, Stephanie first. She was three months old. She was premature from Korea. And so she was technically special needs, but she was just three pounds when she was born. And so we ended up getting her. Uh, Two years later is 89 when I went to the All-Star game and down to get Ryan in Guatemala. um, And that was crazy. So we really had it on our hearts to adopt special needs kids. And Mm -hmm. so we did. And Ryan had some real... Uh, special needs, and really was born in difficult circumstances and stuff and then and then we started getting addicted to this thing and so we, <laughs> so the next so two years later we get a, we adopt nicole she 's from Korea, and so we knew she had a really bad heart, and so we got her, and she was bluish she she um, I mean I could talk forever about these stories but like so we got her yeah. we had all the tests done we had an all star break so we went and just had three days all star break Christine and Nicole and I were on this trip and I forgot about Nicole for a minute she was on the bed she rolled off the bed and she had no she was barely strong enough to just live she could never cry never made noises and stuff and so she I forget I'm a Guy, and I forget about her. she rolls off the bed, she hits the floor, she cries mm. for like ten seconds and passes out. I thought I killed her, and so I just <laughs> thought you know and and but anyway, we fast forward to the beginning. We had all the tests done. it was big surgery, and so uh we scheduled it for the first day of the longest road trip of the year. It was perfectly timed, <laughs> so at least, Christine. Yeah, well, Christine and I. So we're at the hospital checking her in the night before the big surgery, and I get paged to the front desk, and I'm thinking, like, who even knows I'm here? Yeah. And it was my manager, and he said, "I know what's going on. I know what you guys are doing. I know what the, your daughter. But I gotta tell you, you got traded." just now to the New York Mets. You know, and, and every athlete here is, you know, it's just a business. They just you know, it's a bottom line business. But yeah. when that happened the night before open heart surgery, I was kind of hit home. Yeah, I guess this is a tough tough business. And so uh but anyway we I was able to stay for the surgery. They were great. The Mets were wonderful, and I just stayed for a few days till we thought it was stable. Then I went, and then then for the next uh, week and a half, while Nicole was still in the hospital, I'm um, out in the bullpen. I got a beeper in my back pocket, and in case there were were problems and stuff. But what happened was there were there were complications in intensive care. They fixed her heart, but she got. Brain damage, you know, lack of oxygen to the brain or whatever. Mm. And she was a totally different child um, after that. And now, uh, twenty, she's 28. And she is mentally, she's a toddler. She's mm. just fantastic. Just an incredible joy. But she's a toddler mentally. And she, they never thought she would be potty trained. And she was... Fourteen when she was potty trained, that might have been the best day of our lives <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of great potty trained, but sure um so she 's developed to the point where way past where they thought she would be, but she 's just you know and then and, and those kind of kind of that's just part of some of the journey that's uh, that adoption has taken us on
1: why why special needs because comfort wise mm mm-hmm. That's a choice you're making. It's easy to just not choose that.
0: Yeah, and that was yet weird. you did. So, was, why that? It was really weird because I was never around, ever around special needs people. Yeah. And if I ever would have seen them, I would have just been so awkward I'd have turned the other way. And, but then, you know, but when God plants something in your heart, it's deep. And so it was like, oh, okay, so you know what? we We just talked to we adopted our kid all of them through holt international children's services and got gotcha. and they're out of Eugene Oregon, and so I, we talked to them and we said, gosh, we kind of what, what like what's the deal with special needs kids and everything and so we started looking at them, and you know that was kind of it. It was like God blew our heart up for special needs and uh then he kind of directed us to. They pointed out some kids to us, but God was really specific in which ones to to pursue and um but it was yeah, it was just kind of one of those things where when god but what's neat is when God calls you to something, even though it's difficult, it sounds hard when He calls you, He also equips you, and hmm. he gives you the grace to go through this journey, and you know I mean. God's just used it to just to grow us and stretch us over the years.
1: The challenges are always going to come in our lives through uh, through, you know, all seasons of life. You know, when we're young, when we're older, as you started to get older and retirement comes upon you and baseball is no longer a thing for you. um, Walk me through some of the challenges that you've faced and how it's shaped you where you are today through those early post-retirement years into the late 90s maybe I know we you and I talked before we were taping um and you shared you know some of the difficulties that you've walked through can you kind of walk us through some of that and just tell us yeah um, what that um, was like
0: yeah it was weird at start I retired in the spring of 93 I had signed with Cincinnati it was just like another year went to spring training ready to go for another year and and, but there was something different and I got there and it was like my heart had changed from you know athletes we have a deep desire to and a love to do what we do and compete and battle and and it and God just turned my heart again like he changed my heart to for adoption he turned my heart toward home and it was like you know I don't belong here I need uh, this isn't like God got it through to me that uh, he wanted me to retire and walk away and so I was like whoa kind of freaked me out <laughs> scared scared the heck out of me And yeah, but I knew this was like oh man is this real is this right Lord are you doing this is just or am I like going through some freaking out stage or whatever and so I took 10 days and I and I told Christine about it but I only, I called four other people that were really really great uh, mentors to me, people I really looked up to. Called, talked it through with them, and then it was like, okay, no, this is what God wanted me to do. So I walk into Tony Perez's office. Tony was the manager then, and so I walked yeah. in and just retired out of kind of out of the blue, and it made some news. Uh, I remember. Um, a big article was written in the L.A. Times about me doing this for my family and adoption and everything. And so then uh, folks on the family really wanted us to, to write a book. And so we write a book about our story Then the year later, and that was in 94, and then that really... God really used that in in a lot of ways and with the people and adoption and things. So I'm speaking all around the country. I'm getting you know I, I was well known in baseball. I was well known as a Christian. I was we were well known as leaders. Then I write a book and then I'm speaking everywhere and really encouraging people. Yeah. Uh, and it was just a, a crazy ride. And then but but. Our lives changed when uh, uh, one of our kids was really, really difficult, and and he was just really difficult. And we did everything we could. Finally, we we just said, you know, if you don't change, we're we're going to have to send you somewhere. Maybe they can help you. That, and so nothing changed. And so we had to. Um, Put a child in an institution that took difficult kids. And so when that happened, um, uh, this won't mean much to many people, but the people that know what reactive attachment disorder means, it's it's a big deal. And so Hmm. anyways, um, we went through some real difficulties, and then there was just a lot of stuff going on, behind the scenes and so uh, anyway a really long story short we end up having to give up two of our kids of our five uh just because of safety in the home and things and and but in the midst of all this our lives are falling apart and my mentality was man i i became christian in the in the minor leagues, got to the big leagues, did really well. God used us. I was a really good player for his team, and all of a sudden, he let our world fall apart. And I mean, the marriage fall apart, the kids fall apart, and then because of all the kids stuff, the money, and it was like I could not believe God let that. He didn't let it happen. He brought it to fruition. He picked the kids that we were going to adopt, and he, and it was like he let me down, and so I just turned my back away from him, and I just and so then there was a period there, a few years or a couple of years. It's just a blur to me now, but yeah. And Christine was going through the same thing, and so we're separated. She files for a divorce. It was done. And uh, all I could do was just drink and take Ambien at night, and just hopefully not wake up in the morning. And um, hmm. what well, was cool? Oh man! So my lowest point—I was—I think about days that I'm most thankful for. I'm most thankful for a handful of days. This one is up there at the top, you know. With man, salvation, sure, some other things, but. August seventh, two thousand one, I get a. I'm. We're, I'm staying at a friend's apartment in Houston, Texas, and and uh, had a bad phone call with Christine. Went to the bar, got drunk, got into an accident on the drive home, get arrested. I'm going downtown in the back of a cop car, handcuffed, and I'm just thinking. You know, I. C- I could care less. I thought, you know, this is probably a big deal for some people, but I'm done. I've given up on life. I'm through. I didn't care, but then you know, my best friend bails me out of jail the next morning, and and then uh, you know, there's all the court stuff and the fines, revoking my license. Day before my license is revoked, and I'm working at um, Goodwill. That's my community service. I, am, I've got, I'm my, I have no life, and I'm doing this community service, and the last day before they revoke my license, I just drive to the mall and walk the mall. I mean, I'm clinically and massively depressed. Yeah. My life is just, is just unreal at the time, and so I'm walking by this Christian bookstore, and I look, and I see there's a Christian bookstore up on the right, and I just think, oh, man what a bunch of crap in there. I read all, Christine and I read all the books and all the formulas, how to di- divorce proof your marriage, all this, this stuff. And it's yeah. like all these guarantees of a good life. And it's like, jeez, that's garbage. And But I thought the Bible is still true. I thought Jesus is still the way, the truth, and life. I get that. I don't not believe that. But I... For whatever reason, I dropped off his radar screen, and it just—I we weren't getting along at the time, obviously. God and I, and so, so I'm walking by, and I see the stand for a brand new book out, and it was by Larry Crab, Doctor Larry Crab, and, and um, I just think I just thought, oh, Larry—he was the one author that I, I mean, I really tracked with. He had there was something about him I really like, didn't know him or anything, but I thought, oh, well, I'll just all right, I'll go look and see what book he just came out with. Right. And it was, uh, the title of the book was Shattered Dreams. And I looked at that book, and there it is. That sums up my life in two words. And it was, and I could almost see, I'm telling you, Jason, I could almost see God peeking his head around the corner with a smile on his face, loving me. And I knew God for a long time by then. And I knew it was like, oh, no. God has got me trapped. I, he wants me to read this book. And my <laughs> license is revoked the next day. I can't go anywhere other than this right. apartment. I'm stuck here. We're gonna die. So I read that book. And that started the journey back. And God used Larry Crabb. And little did I know... We had mutual friends. He put us together, Larry Crab. We meet. He lives ten minutes away. I didn't know where he was in the world. He lived ten minutes away from me in Morrison, Colorado. And wow! He took me under his wing, started meeting with me, met with me, got down in the septic tank of where my life was, loved me, walked with me, told me the truth, told me hard stuff, but loved me, and ah, uh, that just kind of started the the journey. Not not. not even back we're to such a stage that wasn't even close so much far better, deeper more intimate and I experienced God in crazy ways and that started the journey back but I'm so now it's like man I am so thankful for the difficult near hell times that we went through um, because of what God did and also I love being around hurting people now cuz mm. I know how it is to be suicidal, massively depressed, life just completely gone and uh and I just, it was so terrifying to be that depressed and that alone. And I love to be around hurting people now because of that. And so... And you're still married? I'm still married, 37 years. The divorce never happened? Oh, man, I'm so glad you said that, Christine. (laughs) When I tell that story, sometimes I forget to say, oh, no, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, we're still married, and things are even better than ever. Yeah, good, thank you. So um, better, way better than ever, and... uh, But it's been a crazy ride. Tim, does it
1: help you knowing what you've gone through, the difficult seasons that you've been through, the life, the up and down, the hell and back sort of story, to be able to now understand why it's important to tell that story? And I'm not saying you walk around bragging about it, but the idea of knowing that your pain can be used for a purpose.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean... (laughs) I live on John sixteen thirty three now, where Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Yeah. I have overcome the world. And so it's like, man, we're all going to have hard times, and it's going to get really hard at times, but there's hope in the midst of the hardness. And so I've experienced that the, oh, the beauty and the sweetness of brokenness. God just had to break me and of my you know, and so what eventually came out was like I thought I was a really great player for god's team i'm you he's using me god's i mean I'm really doing a good job and god you know it was like I felt so entitled that God should take care of me, and that is just where in the bible can we get that idea but we do like we all do, but then it's like man i wait a minute, I can't find anybody in there who who followed Jesus and didn't have really tough times and really hard times. So the brokenness, there's such a sweetness in in brokenness that it, um, yeah, it really, I understand people hurting. And it's so hard to see the hope in the darkness, but there is. And not just to survive, but wow, come back through the other side. You can't see how you're going to do it. You can't even imagine it. But God does it time and time again. And those experiences of me experiencing God in the midst of those dark times, have they are absolutely priceless. Hmm. You have a tattoo on your left wrist. It says with...
1: And it has the cross as a T, the letter T. Can you share a little bit about that tattoo? Yeah, I means?
0: just got that at the beginning of this last hockey season. Last summer, God always will give me some kind of a an overall theme of a message for guys for the next hockey season, you know, because I meet with guys all around the league all year long. And so yeah. God hit me with one day I was talking, um, I was thinking about, I had to talk to some guys the next day. Actually, I was baptizing ten guys from my... I was the chaplain of the Denver University hockey team for years, and so we ended up having a big baptism thing, so I was going to talk to them. And so I I ran across... I've read it a thousand times in Psalm 23, where David is talking about, hey, even though I go through... I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, and I'm thinking man, I'm 36 years into this Christian journey and I don't have that attitude as often as I want. And If I remember this and I look and he's like, all right, David, I want to have that. How do you do that? And he says... Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. And it was like yeah. almost, you know, you kind of see these old cartoons where one word on a, will just jump out back and forth at you. Yeah. That was the width. The width got me. And so it was like, oh. And I thought that I need to be reminded of that. And so I ended up, um, yeah, early in the, the hockey season, I went and got a tattoo of it because that word meant so much to me. It was just... For God and me, it was just my reminder from God that, no, here we go. We're going through this day We're I am with you. And the perspective difference of starting another day, going through something, but it's like, wait, wait a minute, it's like, God's right here with me, mm. going through it. It's it's really made a huge impact. What's hilarious was I go home. I was I told Christine about it. I you know and she thought that was cool. And so I come home and I show her, and she goes, "Oh, isn't that right where you put your watch?" And I thought, "Oh no, I didn't even think. I just always pictured it right there on my left wrist." And so. From then on to this morning, still, it's not been a year yet, but it's been months and months, and I still, it's awkward for me to put my watch on my right wrist, and it was like God just smiling, and he goes, see, this is just a little added bonus to make sure (laughs) you remember i 'm with you we 're yeah. going through this day together, and so I That's just good. that was just kind of a funny little thing that God does every now and then. I just got a kick out of that
1: Tim Burke. This has been really great chatting with you. Um Let me ask you our last question you 've listened to our podcast so you know where i 'm probably going with this, but what are you learning from God today? What is he teaching you
0: yeah, you know it's it's a season where um I am really learning the importance. Of, and it just sounds so simple, but the importance of loving people in the midst of whatever's going on, even the, like the difficult times and the frustrating times, people I'm, I get frustrated with, but to love them in the midst of it and it sounds so simple but you know when you think about it it's really hard to love people you really disagree with and really just but I'm seeing you know the more I live the more the difference love makes Mm -hmm. and I can love people well now because I've been loved well by Jesus in my worst times when I was a idiot and and so it was like man i've experienced that and so now it's like just man it's just blown up more just these last few months of how important it is to love people
1: truly love them tim thanks so much for being here i really appreciate you sharing your story and we'll be praying for you and uh, wish you nothing but the best
0: i loved it jason thanks
1: Many thanks to Tim Burke for joining us here on Sports Spectrum's podcast. You can give Tim a follow on Twitter. It's pretty simple. When you search the name Tim, you find him Tim Burke44. That was his number when he played in the majors Tim Burke44. Give him a follow. Let him know that you heard his story and his journey here on Sports Spectrum. Many thanks to Tim. Many thanks to you for listening. As always, we want to encourage you to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast. Whatever app you're listening to this on, whether it's Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, click that subscribe button so you never miss another episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. We've done so many of them. We have Uh, So many great stories that have been told. We can't wait to tell more, and we're honored and privileged and blessed to be able to bring those to you through the platform of podcasting and Sports Spectrum. So grateful to Tim, grateful to you. Thanks for listening. As always, you can reach us on our social media pages as well as our website. That's the place to bookmark, sportspectrum.com. And I want to encourage you to subscribe to our Sports Spectrum magazine for just $18 for an entire year gets you a quarterly magazine subscription the entire year for sports spectrums magazine it's a beautiful magazine the one on newsstands right now features football players defensive football players and the defenders of faith in the nfl lots of great stories in there not just on football but all sports intersecting with faith in jesus christ we love the magazine we know you will too so consider subscribing today at sportspectrum.com for just $18. You'll love the magazine. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time with a brand new episode. This is the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.